this morning we're directing our attention to the second chapter of the book of Ephesians in the first ten verses. Jerry Bridges, who was a navigator, an author that I've come to appreciate, an author that um, I was able to meet and know when I was ministering in Colorado Springs, Colorado. A man whose books on the gospel and holiness have, have been well received by a multitude of people. And, and then he wrote this book called Respectful Sins. And many Christians, um, he writes in the preface of that book, think of the gospel as only for unbelievers. He writes, once we trust in Christ, so the thinking goes, we no longer need the gospel. And one of the ways that he says this expresses itself and manifests itself in the uh, conservative evangelical church today is by the way members have become preoccupied with some of the major sins of society around us that we have lost sight of the need to deal with our own refined or subtle sins. I confess it took me three attempts at reading this book before I finally did it. And I did it because I asked a group of uh, our congregants to get together and let's read it together. <laughs> and you know what happens when you have to read something in a group. You actually have to read it. Twenty-one chapters in the book. Fourteen of those chapters identify what, what Jerry Bridges calls ordinary sins that sadly are besetting sins in our lives. Here are some of them. Anxiety and frustration. Discontentment. Unthankfulness. Pride. Selfishness. Lack of self-control. Impatience and irritability. Anger. Weeds of anger. Judgmentalism. Envy. Jealousy. 
sins of the tongue, worldliness. Can you see how it was so hard? <laughs> so want to pick up the book and read it? How did you fare? As I read through some of those respectable sins, some of those ordinary sins, some of those besetting sins. The power of grace. The place of the gospel in the life of the Christian. That's what I trust we'll be able to look at this morning. And come to the realization afresh that the gospel is not simply something that we share with the unbelievers with whom we come to, into contact. But the gospel is something that we preach to ourselves every day of our lives. So that our lives are truly driven by the gospel, the power of grace, as Paul sets that forth for us in the letter that we've come to know as Ephesians. But if you look at that, that opening verse of this book, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. The words in Ephesus are not in some of the older manuscripts. This, this letter that we ascribe to Paul, as Paul says, he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, written to whom? To the saints, the faithful ones in Christ Jesus. So this letter, a circular letter, comes to rest apparently in Ephesus, that place where Paul spent two and a half or three and a half years of his life ministering, is written to you and to me. Saints, we who are faithful in Christ Jesus. And in chapter 2, and in these first ten verses, it's my prayer that we will see, first of all, where God found us. Where God found us. 
And secondly, it's my prayer that we will recognize what God did for us, where he found us, what he did for us, and then finally, why God did it for us, that which he did for us, when he found us. So let's first of all notice where God found us. Listen as I read for us the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 2. And you, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now working, who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Where God found us. We know from the opening chapters of the book of Genesis that because our first parents ate the forbidden fruit, they were, they were living their lives away from God. And so the first thing that we find here is that God found us dead in trespasses and sin. Dead in trespasses and sin. When I was preaching through the book of Ephesians and I preached on these first three verses of this second chapter, the title of the sermon was Dead Men and Women Walking. Where did God find you and me? He found us dead in trespasses and sins. And what does the word dead mean? When we look at society, when we remember what we were as we were born into this world, we weren't corks bobbing up and down in the water. We weren't people trying to, to get up and <sighs> get breath the way most of evangelicalism unfortunately looks at the world. Offering the gospel, throwing life preservers out into the oceans and into the waters and saying, just grab a hold, just grab a hold. As if people in this world are struggling to get breath at the top of a lake. If you're dead... 
Where are you if you're in a lake at the bottom? And someone was asked once, what are dead people able to do? And there's only one thing that dead people are able to do, and that is stink. Where did God find us? He found us dead in our trespasses and sin. And being dead in our trespasses and sin, he goes on to identify us as people who were directed by Satan. Now, if you are like I am and you think back on what it was like in your life before you came to be a Christian, you established the rights and the wrongs of your life. And if you are like I was, you had a Christian world and life view. What do I mean by that? You understood there's a God. And you understood that that God had a standard for living. And you understood more or less what that standard was. After all, we're told in the Bible that we're, we're born with the law written on our hearts. And there were certain moral standards that you relished and you kept. For me, one of the things I did was I went to church. One of the things I did was I got active in the scouts. One of the things I did was I sought to excel at basketball. One of the things I did was I sought to excel at high Y, a men's organization in the YMCA. Why did I do all those things? Because doing all of those things made me look good. so that I could do those things I knew you weren't supposed to do. In the darkness of my life, where people couldn't see me, or where people did the same sinful things, I didn't call it sin, that I did and found pleasure in them. 
the scriptures say that I was doing all of that at Satan's direction. Because the scriptures say that unless I'm a Christian, the devil is my father. And he's the father of lies. And being dead in trespasses and sins means that I'm being directed by the father of lies so that I could believingly think that if my good deeds outweighed my bad deeds, if there's a heaven, I'm on my way. <laughs> right? But I was also driven by lusts. Remember? Remember that song that was sung by a popular female Christian musician? Some of, some of you are old enough to remember that song that was a hit song in Christian radio. It can't be wrong if it feels so good. It can't be wrong if it feels so good. And so we have Carl Truman writing books about the self. Written because he says, what would grandpa say if he heard someone say, trapped in a man's body. Is it any wonder our society now seeks to identify ourselves based on subjectivism? Based on emotions? How many, how many of us grew up eating food because we were anxious and it was comforting? Or how many of us grew up not nourishing our bodies because we were fat? Because we were seen as fat we became anorexic. Driven by lusts. 
lust of the flesh, the lust of eyes, the pride of life. We were dead. We were directed by Satan. How do you feel? How do you feel about yourself? How do others make you feel about yourself? Stay away from these. Hang on to these. Because they're the ones that make me feel good. And our text says, We were destined for wrath. We were destined for wrath. And we recoil at the thought because God is love. I'm doing my best. Isn't it good enough? Don't you love me? Look at how hard I'm trying. But a thrice holy God says we were by nature children of wrath just as everyone else around us because God says we are to be holy as he is holy you know the phrase I have bad news and I have good news <laughs> well that was the bad news <laughs> right and let's face it you really can't have good news if you don't have bad news and there are those who would say if you have 30 minutes to preach a sermon I think it was Francis Schaeffer who said about 25 minutes of that would be on the law This is the way you're to walk. Walk in it. And if you don't, then here are the curses that I have in store for you, God says. Where did God find us? He found us dead. And we stunk. As much as we thought we didn't, in his nostrils, we stunk. 
And what do we do with corpses that are stinking on the ground? (laughs) We dig a hole and put them in it. But that's not what God did for us, is it? Praise God. That's not what he did. What did he do? Well, listen to verses 4 through 6. But God. (laughs) Praise God for but God. Who is rich in mercy. Because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! Praise God from whom all blessings flow. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. What did God do for us? He loved us. How did he love us? He sent his one and only son. He sent his one and only son to be his lamb, to be slain for the sins of the world. He sent his one and only son who would live that perfect life, unlike our first parents, that second Adam, That second Adam whose bread was to do the will of his father. That second Adam who was tempted by Satan to change the stone into bread said no. My food is the will of my father. That's what nourishes me. That's what keeps me alive. It's not the bread of humanity. And this morning we'll enjoy the bread of life. The body of Christ given for us. That to partake of Christ is to partake of life. Life eternal. Because God loved us and gave his son. That his son would bear the wrath that we deserve for our sin. The wrath that we deserved as we were dead in our trespasses of sin. The wrath that we deserved for all those times we said, here's my righteousness. And he said, that's filthy rags. And the wages of sin is death. For all those years... That we lived apart from Jesus. His love for us sustains us, 
even when we deserve to be put to death until that time when we would come to be liberated. He loved us and he liberated us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive. He made us alive together with Christ. You see, before the foundation of the world, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit determined to have a people who would indeed love him. Who would indeed love him in such a way, well, we'll get to that. And so Jesus said, Dad, hook him up with me. Sign them up with me so that I can take them through life with me. I can be their obedience. I can take the wrath they deserve. I can experience hell that they deserve. I can be put in the grave that they deserve. I can be resurrected from the grave that in me they deserve. I can be their liberator. They can be made alive in me, with me, in my resurrection. I can take them from the bottom of that ocean and bring them up to the surface so they can hear the gospel. We believe in Jesus Christ today because we were liberated from death to life. By grace we are saved. By grace we are made Alive. I used to ask the students when I taught 7th grade and 8th grade and ninth grade Bible, I used to ask the students when I was teaching at the seminary, does faith come before or after the new birth? <laughs> and you know how many of them said, before! <laughs> because I have to believe to be born again and I go really think about that for just a little bit how long do you think it will take a thinking person to realize you can't think when you're dead <laughs> so how can you be faithful before you're alive Grace saves us. And it's not prevenient grace, please. It's not prevenient grace. Prevenient grace is, a, is, is some notion that we can be almost alive, but not quite alive, but we have enough ability to become alive. 
If only we'll believe. He liberated us. And finally he lifted us. And raised us up with him, Christ. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Can you appreciate how important it is for us to live every day of our lives remembering what God did for us? Liberated us from death because he loved us. And then he lifted us all the way in Jesus Christ to his right hand. Do you realize as we sit here today, we're sitting at the right hand of God? Do you realize when you're sitting at home at the kitchen table or dining room table eating your meal, you're sitting at the right hand of God? Do you realize when you're sitting in your car, you're sitting at the right hand of God? Do you realize that every moment of your waking and sleeping life, this side of glory, you're seated at God's right hand in Christ Jesus? Hallelujah! Do you understand afresh the power of grace? We forget. We need the gospel 24-7. We need to remember what God did for us every day of our lives. Do you see how the gospel impacts anxiety? Do you see how the gospel impacts frustration? Do you see how the gospel impacts anger and and weeds of anger, do you see how the gospel addresses things that we tend to say, well, they're just besetting sins. What do you expect? Where's the gospel? Well, if you only knew what that person did to me, you. Well, if you only understood how, how, how bad I feel when, when people think I'm overweight. Why? 
Why did God do these things for us? Do we really ask ourselves why did God do this? So often the gospel is presented in such a way that, that you know, God did this for you so you'll have no longer guilty feelings. Or, or, or God did this so that you'll no longer have major problems in your life. Uh, life will just be so, so much better if you only believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you can ask whatever you want and you'll receive it. Well, listen. Listen to verses 7 through 10 to be reminded of why God did this for us. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. In his, in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God loved us. God liberated us. God lifted us. I'll give you another L word. He illuminated us. <laughs> he illuminated us. Why? Why did he illuminate us? To showcase his grace and his kindness. Do you recognize that we are Christians for God? For God to be able to show a watching world his grace and his kindness. Do we demonstrate the goodness? of God in Christ Jesus by the richness that Christ has granted us. Do people understand that we are who we are because we're Christians? Saved by grace. 
And how does, does kindness fit into all of this? Remember Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Took me a long time to keep 2 4, 2 4, 2 4. Romans 2 4, Romans 2 4. The kindness of God does what? You'll have to look it up, right? Brings repentance. Repentance. The life of the Christian is the life of perpetual repentance. And what is repentance? How we think. Repentance is that idea of metanoia. That repentance is the idea of a change of thinking. I think, therefore I am. (laughs) Amen to that. But as a Christian, I am to be thinking God's thoughts after him. When I'm doing science, what? Wow, I think God's thoughts after him so marvelously. Because I'm, I'm, I'm into his handiwork. I'm into that expression of, of who he is and all these creative intricacies of everything that I'm looking at as an engineer, as a scientist. And I'm constantly thinking afresh, wow, look at God's handiwork. I remember interviewing a man who became a biology professor at Geneva College. He told about how I believe he was getting his PhD from Penn State of all places. (laughs) And he was down at the Hershey Med Center. And he said, I couldn't. I I became a Christian and I couldn't stop saying to the students and the people that I was with, look at what God has done, look at this. (laughs) As he was doing his research and as he was seeing how all of these biological laws were working and, and I want to be able to go to a school where I can talk that way without being... dare you bring God into the classroom. He doesn't belong in the classroom. We don't need God in the classroom. Why, after all, me, myself, and I, we know what is best in the classroom. That's what classrooms are all about. We don't need him. We have evolution. We're free thinkers. So free that we can include God. Because we're dead in our trespasses and sin. And once we begin to include God, woohoo, things change radically. It's no longer about me, myself, and I. Well, 
That's what God did for us. And this is why he loved us. And this is why he liberated us. This is why he lifted us. So that we could illuminate his grace. Show forth his grace as we are renewed in our minds and knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. So we think, we think, we think. We change our thinking that's devoid of God. And we have our thinking rooted and grounded. Why did he do this for us? To save us through faith. For by grace you're saved through faith. For by grace you're saved through faith. And that's a gift of God. Not of works and he should boast. You see, if new life is the result of faith, I believed. I believed. Right? what it boils down to, doesn't it? Of course God accepts me. I believed. He has to accept me. I believed. Excuse me? It was a gift. A gift that cost God his son. You believe because you were born from above. You believe because you were given now a new heart. A new heart in which the gospel seed would take root. And finally to start us in a new life. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Yes, indeed, we are to be Doing good works. (laughs) But they're not to earn salvation. They're not to merit eternal life. But we do those good works... 
to show our love for God. Remember those times when we really, really, really appreciate our parents? And we demonstrated how much we appreciated them by doing the things they asked us to do. Taking out the trash without being reminded. <laughs> Making our bed. Do we make our beds any? Yeah, making our beds when we get up in the morning without being reminded. Hanging the towels up. I don't know, you squeeze the toothpaste in the middle of the end. However, the, however that shows we really appreciate what makes our parents happy. What makes God happy? He who has my commandments and keeps them. He it is who loves me. I and the Father will love them make ourselves more known to them. You see, every day we are to be looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And this morning, it's our privilege to have Jesus with us in a very special way in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, where his body his blood are here to remind us of the gospel, the power of grace. I'm not going to say of all of the books that Jerry Bridges wrote, Respectable Sins had the most profound impact on my life. but it certainly impacted my life. And I pray that these 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2 will be used of the Lord in each of our lives in such a way that we'll appreciate the fact that the gospel is for we who are Christians so that we will live our lives every day in that gospel. And it will be the power of God unto our salvation. Let's look to the Lord together in prayer.